Good morning. Thank you, Missy. Wonderful job. Take your Bibles. Turn, if you would, please. John chapter number 20. John chapter number 20. Jesus has been crucified on Friday, and he lay in the tomb until he rose from the grave on Sunday morning. Before dawn on Sunday, Mary and several other women make their way to the tomb. The other gospel accounts make it clear that the women are bringing spices to place on the body of Jesus. The burial had been rather hurried because of the rapidly approaching Sabbath. Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, wanted to make sure that the burial was done sufficiently and on time. The women wanted to make sure that it was completed with all due reverence. We're going to back up this morning for just a few moments and look at the beginning in verse number one. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was dark and saw the same, saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, knowing that he meant John here, and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid them. There are several Marys in the New Testament, and it can be hard to not get them confused. There is Mary of Bethany, that's Lazarus' sister. There's Mary, mother of Jesus. And there's Mary Magdalene. Magdalene is a feminine place name. It means simply that Mary was from the city of Magdala, which was on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. There are only a few things, four things, that we can know for sure about Mary, Mary Magdalene. First thing that we know about her is that Luke tells us in chapter 8 that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. Many of the Bible commentaries down through the years have come to the place that they, there's a rather common notion that she was a prostitute. However, there is no biblical evidence that that is true. However, that being said, having been possessed with seven demons, it's hardly likely that she had a squeaky clean past life. The second thing that we know is that she became a part, a permanent part of the group that traveled from place to place with Jesus. She was a follower and supporter of Jesus. The third thing that we know is that she was among the group of women who stayed at the cross even after the disciples had fled. It has been said that she was the last at the cross and the first at the tomb. Which brings us to the fourth thing that we know about Mary. She was with this group of women who headed out to the cross as soon as possible on Sunday with the intention to see that the burial of Jesus was properly handled. I want you to look with me this morning as we look at Mary's life. And first of all, we're going to see Mary's devotion. Perhaps you've gone to a cemetery and you've stood by a grave alone. In your heart, 
You may have even talked to the one who is now gone and told them how much you miss them. If you have done that, then you understand why Mary was at Jesus' tomb. Mary loved the Lord, and the bottom of her life had fallen out when he was nailed to a cross and died. It probably brought her some degree of human comfort to engage in the one act that she could think of of service to perform for the Lord, that seeing that he was reverently and lovingly prepared for burial. So according to verse 1, at the earliest possible moment, probably a good, t- good bit before daylight, a group of women, perhaps the same women who stood at the foot of the cross, returned to anoint the body of Jesus. Mark chapter 16 tells us the women were worried about how they were going to remove the stone to gain entrance into the tomb. This concern would convey to us that they had not perceived even the slightest possibility that Jesus' body would not be there. They had no thought that the resurrection had occurred. It was obvious that their love was greater than their faith. Faith no longer motivated them. Hope no longer motivated them. Love motivated them. Not only do we see Mary's devotion, we see Mary's disappointment. Verse 2 says, Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Well, the first thing they discovered, obviously, is that the stone had been removed. Can you imagine how her heart must have pounded and what her thoughts must have been as she stood there? That was no small accomplishment. The stone that covered the doorway to the tomb would have weighed as much as a thousand pounds. As I pointed out in the last message on John, the verb that is used to describe the removal of the stone was not the one you would expect to see when you talk about rolling a stone, but rather that it was lifted up. It would seem that John wants us to understand that what had transpired was no ordinary phenomenon but rather the result of divine power. Matthew tells us, the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. If you read the parallel accounts, you find that the appearance of the angels so unnerved the Roman guards that they fell to the ground in a daze. And when they recovered, they ran from that place as fast as they could to bring a report to the authorities. All this had occurred prior to the arrival of Mary. When she arrived, there was no sign of anyone and the tomb stood open. Secondly, we see that the, the tomb was empty. The second thing that she noticed, obviously, was that the body of Jesus was gone. They had come to anoint him, but he was not here. And because the body was not there, she made an assumption. She concluded that the only possibility was that someone had taken his body. At that moment, she could not think of Jesus as anything but dead. She had watched as they nailed him to the cross. She had watched him as he suffered and died. 
She had witnessed the soldier thrust the spear into his side, and she had seen his lifeless body taken from the cross. She had come in search of a dead Lord, and she finds an empty tomb. Mary apparently does not have any thought to the possibility of the resurrection. The empty tomb means one thing only, and that is that somebody has taken the body of Jesus. The tomb is empty. The question is, why? Next, we see Mary's despair. Verse number 11. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then she said to, to, they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When the women discovered that the tomb was empty, they were confused and terrified. Mary returned to give news to the disciples, as we have already seen. John and Peter went to investigate, and when they saw the grave clothes lying exactly where the body should have been, they left to tell the others. Meanwhile, Mary now has returned to the tomb just as Peter and John left. Mary remained behind. At first, she stood outside the tomb, weeping. In fact, the Greek word is used here to describe her weeping means a loud, uncontrolled wailing. And then at some point, she stooped down enough to see inside, apparently for the first time. Two angels were sitting where the body of Jesus had laid. From Mary's reaction, we cannot avoid reaching the conclusion that Mary did not recognize that these were two angels. Why did she fail to recognize the significance of who these individuals were? But life is that way sometimes. We are so wrapped up in our own misery that we fail to see the obvious. But notice where the angels are seated. The angels presented a living portrait of the Ark of the Covenant. The angels were seated on either side of a slab that once held the body of Jesus. One at his feet, one at his head. I don't know if you remember or know much about the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant sat in the temple in Jerusalem. It sat in the most holy or sacred place called the Holy of Holies. Only one person could go into the Holy of Holies, and that was the high priest. And he could only enter one day each year on the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement, he brought a container of blood from the sacrifice, which was for the atonement of the sins of Israel. Inside the Holy of Holies sat the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, of course, contained the Ten Commandments. And on top of it, there was two cherub, angels, one on each end. And in between was called the mercy seat. It was onto the mercy seat that the high priest poured the blood from the sacrifice. 
The symbolism is then that God, who is represented by the Ark of the Covenant, saw his people not for their sin, but through the blood. Here she has a wonderful picture of that. All of those sacrifices for all of those years was but a picture of a sacrifice that was to come. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. The writer of Hebrews says, Jesus offered the sacrifice for sins forever. The angels turned to Mary and said, Woman, why are you weeping? In Mary's eyes, these are the darkest hours of her life, but they are based on a false conclusion that Jesus was dead and that someone had stolen his body. If Mary had understood why the temple, the tomb was empty, then she would not have been weeping. Notice with me Mary's disillusionment, beginning in verse 14. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She supposed him to be the gardener and said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Mary is blinded by her grief. In sorrow, Mary does not realize that she is not alone at the tomb. Then she sees a man standing next to her, but she doesn't realize who he is. Why does she fail to recognize the Lord? Well, we all have a context in which we recognize people. People sometimes see me out in the community, not dressed in a suit, and sometimes they don't recognize me at first. It's not that they don't know who I am. I'm just not in the context in which they are used to seeing me. Mary was not expecting to see Jesus, and she was not ready to recognize what did not fit in with her expectations. It's worth reflecting that this is a mistake that we all repeat in our lives. We expect the Lord to act in certain ways, ways that jive with our own thoughts. And when they do not, we often fail to recognize him. There's an important thing, I think, here. What does this tell us about our glorified bodies? In Corinthians 1551, the Apostle Paul says, and we shall all be changed. The Apostle John says in 1 John 3, it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So as we look at the glorified, resurrected body of Jesus... What does it tell us? Well, first of all, Jesus was not a ghost. He was not a spirit. He was raised bodily from the dead. He ascended bodily into heaven. And he will return bodily in power and glory. 
Those facts are of great importance because it shows us that death has not altered human personality. The essence of who we are remains unchanged by death. The real you lives on even after passing through the portal that we call eternity. Jesus now asked Mary two questions, which is both a gentle reproof and a tender ministry of compassion. His reproof came in the first question, why do you weep? His gentle reproof is not aimed at her grief, but at the unbelief that was operating within the grief. The second question that Jesus asked Mary is, what are you looking for? This question can also help us to understand why Mary failed to recognize Jesus. She was looking for a body, not a person. Mary is so wrapped up in her grief that she turns her attention to the tomb, supposing that he was the caretaker of the garden. She paid him no mind. She continued to stare into the tomb. When we face death among those closest to us, we are also tempted to stare at the grave when we should be looking to the Lord of life. Mary is still thinking that he is the gardener. And so she believes that he might also have the answer to where the body of Jesus was. So Mary asked him in verse 15, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. If you think of that logically for a moment, Mary, of course, unaided, would hardly be able to carry the body of Jesus by herself. And secondly, she didn't have any place to put him if she found him. But a person who is overcome with grief does not always think logically. Mary was weeping because the tomb was empty. However, we have all just cause today to weep if she had been given what she was asked for, if they bought her the body of Jesus. If she had found the body of Jesus, we would have no reason to believe that there is victory over death. As Paul states in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, if Jesus did not rise from the grave, we are of all men most miserable. Many times when we go through a dark valley, we feel that the Lord has abandoned us. But if we have eyes to see we would see that the Lord is with us walking every step of the way. Not only Mary's disillusionment, but Mary's discovery. Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which means teacher. When Jesus called her by name, it conveyed several important truths. 
It's as if he were saying, I'm here. I'm back from the dead. I still know you and I still love you. Notice that she knew his voice and he knew her name. He utters just one word, Mary, and her eyes are opened as to who is speaking to her. Completion of the promise found in John chapter 10 and verse 3. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Mary's discovery leads us to Mary's desire. Verse 17. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord And that he had spoken these things to her. There are three commands in verse 17. The first command is do not cling. The second command is go. And the third command is say. So I'd like to invite you to underline those commands in your Bible. Do not cling. Go. And say, first Jesus says, do not cling to me. But notice, Jesus did not say, do not touch me. That seems to be what this verse is often misinterpreted to mean. Do not touch me. But just a few verses later, just a short time later, Jesus will tell Thomas, reach your finger here. And look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Why would he forbid Mary to touch him and just a short time later command Thomas to touch him? I think what he wants Mary to understand is that she cannot and should not try to prevent him from leaving again to return to heaven. By continuing to physically cling to him. While it is true that Mary will no longer enjoy the physical presence of Jesus. She is getting something far better. A permanent spiritual relationship with Jesus. If he remained here on earth. Then he would be limited to being in one place at a time. If he had stayed here then his ministry would have been limited to the few people who could see him face to face. He had to leave the few so that he could save the many. I believe that in her ecstatic joy, Mary had flung her arms around Jesus and he had to gently disengage her and give her a job. The second command is go. Go to my brethren. And I think he's referring here not to his brothers and sisters in the flesh, but to his disciples. She had been given the responsibility of carrying the news to the disciples. And the third command reveals that Jesus had a specific message that he wanted to be conveyed. 
and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. It has been said that Mary Magdalene, as I said before, that she was at last at the cross and first at the tomb. It's a statement that could not be made about any of the male disciples of Jesus. As a result, she had been the first to see Jesus alive and to hear his voice. It is true that at first she didn't recognize him, but when she did, she became the first evangelist in Christian history. The Lord's first appearance after resurrection was not to one of the 11 male disciples. If you were planning the announcement of the resurrection, would you have picked Mary? Who would you have chose to be the messenger? She never had a position of leadership. She never wrote a gospel account. Nevertheless, the Lord chose to manifest himself to her first. Her great love had brought her early to the tomb. And because of her great love and her great grief, Jesus chose to reveal himself to her first. I recently read about a Muslim who had become a Christian. He shared his testimony this way. He said, I was looking at the lives of both Muhammad and Jesus. Then I came to a fork in the road. One led to death and a tomb at Medina and the other to an empty tomb and a resurrection. I decided to go the living way. Before the end of his life, Mohammed wrote in the Quran, I do not know where I am going. Later in the Quran, he wrote, I am not something original among messengers, nor do I know what will be done with me or with you. Jesus, on the other hand, said, I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Choices, simple. Choose the living way. It may be like Mary in dark periods of our lives. We are blinded by our circumstances, and we think that we are alone. That perhaps God has abandoned us, when in fact, he has walked with us every step of the way. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your great love for us, that you were willing to send your only son to take our place, to pay for our sins on the cross of Calvary. There's no way that we can ever repay that except by our expression of love for you, for what you've done for us. If there's one here today that doesn't know you in a personal, intimate way, never accepted the payment that has been made on their behalf, help them to realize this morning that they are sinners, just like everybody else in this room, and that those sins have separated between themselves and the holy God. But that the good news is that Jesus has come And because he lived a life free of sin, he was capable of being our substitute 
He was capable of taking our sins because he had no sins of his own. And on the cross, he paid for that sin. And that all we must do is be willing to accept that payment, to recognize that Jesus is who he said he was, that he came and did what the Bible said he would. And he rose from the grave to show us that there is life beyond death. If there's one here that has never accepted that payment, would you help them to make that decision today? For those of us who are saved, still we can be blinded by the circumstances of our lives, blinded to the fact that we think we're walking alone. Help us to realize that you have never left us, that you've never abandoned us, that you're with us every step of the way. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? We're